Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, imagine with me for just a moment. There you are standing in a beautiful field, guys, full of flowers as far as the eye can see. Right? There you are. And, and, and you see the sun is shining. The sun is shining. You feel this cool breeze. It's not too hot. You're not cold. The sun, if you look to the east, although it's shining, it's gently and more beautifully setting in the east. And you think, ah, oh, what a perfect place to worship the Lord. And there you are, and you close your eyes. And you start to think of all the goodness and warmth the Lord has brought to you. And you stand with your eyes closed and your arms lifted to heaven. And you start thinking of who God is. You start thinking of him in your life. And you're worshiping him. And tears, guys, begin to feel, fill your eyes. Your heart begins to explode in worship. Oh, this has never happened to me before, but it's... But it's worship. You start to sing songs like, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow. And you're, and you're just singing it. And you're saying, And here I am to say that you are my God. You're altogether lovely. Altogether. And, and you're just worshiping, guys. You're just worshiping. And there it is. You're saying, Here I am to worship. You are my God. Now, right about this time, you open your eyes, and as you look, you see a cloud off in the distance. Oh, it's just a cloud? It's just a cloud. You think, hey, what could this be? And all of a sudden, if we can be honest in church, fear grips your heart because you know that cloud is getting bigger. And you think, man, that, that could be a storm. It's moving. Well, it's awful dark. And Okay, okay, okay. Here I am to where. And you see that, that now it's getting darker and darker. And guys, here's what happens, guys. All of a sudden you realize that a storm is brewing. I'm standing in the middle of the field and you realize I have no shelter. And just like the movies, all of a sudden it begins to rain. And it's raining harder and harder. And then you hear thunder. And then you, you see the lightning and the wind starts to blow. And your heart still tries to sing, here I am to worship. And, but your, your head tells you, hey, there's something else going on here. My heart wants to worship. You go, what? Well, there's a couple of things that happen to us in the midst of a storm, guys. It's the how and why. These are the two biggest questions we ask during a storm. How and why? How and why? You go, what do you mean, pastor? Well, the first thing he says is, how could God let this storm happen? Don't you understand? Here I am. I'm worshiping. I'm in a field of beautiful flowers. The sun is setting. It was so cool. The breeze was in me. Now I'm in the midst of a storm. and I have no shelter. God, how? How could you let this happen? 
How could you let this happen? Here I am, but I'm not in worship. Here I am soaking wet. Here I am cold, miserable, no shelter. And here's what we guys, here's what we say, guys. How could a loving God, you fill in the blank. And you go, well, what other question? Another question we ask in the midst of a storm is, why me? Why me? What did I do? You see, God, you blessed me, and here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. But why me? I'm serving the Lord, and I'm worshiping him. Help me, church. Why me? We ask that question. If we can be honest, why me? What did, what did I do? And what I've come to realize in walking with the Lord is that worship, the worship would be just as effective in all the display of his great power. And here's what I want to learn. Here's what I want us to grow with. Tonight, guys, we're going to hear all about what happens when we worship during the storms of life and even after the storms. It was a lady by the name of Nancy DeMoss. She tells a story about a woman who recently told her that she'd been through a major hurricane. Then did she described for her, she goes, did describe for me what it was like to be in the eye of the storm. Now check it out. Here's what she says. How things had been so peaceful, calm, even through the front end of the storm had passed by. Now they were in the eye of the storm and the back end of the storm was still coming. But she describes a sense of calm and rest while she was in the eye of the storm. And I thought about that story, and I thought, isn't that true? Right? Right? I think of the Hills. You've been through a hurricane. You know what? Here's the thing. The front of the storm, here it comes. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Where's the shelter? This is a storm. Let's, let you know, metaphorically think about life and, and what the storms we go through. But she, but she says, in the eye of the storm, it's calm. Yet in your mind, you're going, but the back end hasn't hit. The back end, but it's calm. It's calm. And, and she talks about the storms of life. And, but when I think about the storms of life, guys, could, you, could we agree? I can't think, well, there's a lot of people in the Bible. One of the best persons I think is, is, that, that experienced the storm, storms of life is, is King David, right? David. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 57, David describes for us what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of a storm. Now, your attention, please think about it, okay? There we are in the midst, and so all of a sudden, we're worshiping God. Everything is great. Man, we, it's, well, now we're in the midst of a storm, and it's rainy, and it's cold, and, and, and the wind is blowing, and I'm miserable, and I'm stressed, Think about what David says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Psalm 57. It says, for the choir director, listen to this. The Psalm of David regarding the time when he fled from Saul and he went into the cave. To be sung to the tune, do not destroy. He says, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for your protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until danger passes by. I will cry out to God most high. To God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me. Disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and his faithfulness. David goes on to write, I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey. Whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows. And whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. 
May your glory shine all over the earth. Can you imagine what David is feeling? He says, my enemies have set a trap for me. I'm weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Verse 7, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake to the dawn of my song. I will thank you, Lord. Among, for, among all the people, I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, the highest heavens. May your glory shine all over the earth. Think about what David did. David is just like us, guys. He was in the midst of, hey, man, I'm worshiping God. This is amazing. Now he's on the run for his life. And he's going, what happened? The one thing that stood out to me in Psalm 57 that David does is David immediately worships the Lord. But can I be honest with you? There are many storms in our lives where we don't immediately worship the Lord. We don't. And I want to learn. I want to I see. I mean, think about what he says. The first thing he says is, have mercy on me, O God. I look to you for protection. Well, of course, that sounds right. That's your heart, right? God, protect me. God, where are you? I need you. Okay, okay. And, and, but David goes on. David, David goes on. And I mean, think about this. He says, I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until danger passes by. I will cry out to the Most High God. To God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now, here's what I want you to think. A lot of times in our lives, church, now listen to me. A lot of times in our lives, we base, okay, we base God's love and protection for us on how good we've been. And a lot of times in the midst of the storm, here's what we'll say. I know God can do it. I just don't know if he'll do it for me. Am I talking to anybody here? That's how we are, guys. That's how the human mind works. I I know God can do it. I know he's powerful. I believe in you, God. I just don't know if he'll do it for me. Why would he do it for me? Who am I? And that's what David is saying. David's going, no, no, no. Now, Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what David's heart is. David's heart in the midst of the storm hasn't left God. His belief in God, who God is, and God's protection. He says that, right? And then he goes on and he's like, listen, I'm just, this, I'm just in distress. I'm just in distress. But, 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 but think about this, right? My enemies have set a trap. He says, I am weary from distress. Have you ever been there? And then he goes on to say, listen, I have dug a deep pit in my path. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves are going to fall into it. But then he says this. He says, my heart is confident in you. Oh, God, my heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Sing your praises. Now, Ben, Pastor Ben, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, David's story, I believe, guys, illustrates what we really need to grasp and learn tonight. You go, what's that? How to worship God during the storm and even after the storm. Now, we got to backtrack just a little bit, okay, because it was last year that we ended up in Genesis. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about what's going on, okay? In the first part of chapter 7, we learned that God was not happy with what was going on on earth, okay? If you recall, in Genesis chapter 6, it said, so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You guys with me on this? 
And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God, this, this blows my mind, okay? This blows my mind. Why? Because God looks down and he says, everything is a mess. The, the human race is corrupt. It's a mess. And I'm going to destroy them. And, 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 and I'm thinking, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking in our day and age right now, it's the same thing that's happening. Josh told me today, Josh told me today, he asked me a question. He said, hey, what would you do? What would you do if you went to a McDonald's and you took Cordelia with you and there were two teenage girls in there and they were being roughhousing and everything? Would you, would you tell the girls something or would you just leave? And I said, well, that has happened, but not with teenagers. But then he goes on to tell me that, that this lady told this, hey, you're teenagers, okay? Could you please get out of the playhouse? They went nuts, he told me. They went nuts, and they just, they caused a commotion, and it was just, they had to call the cops, and they beat up the lady. And I'm thinking, all flesh has corrupted themselves. That's what's going on. I'm just, I'm looking at Josh going, what's going on with our world? What's going on with the people in our world? Why are they, you know what? I mean, before it could be, hey, well, first of all, you're 16. You're not allowed to be in here. It's for this size. But look at you. And then they go nuts. No discipline, nothing. They just, I'm just like, Josh. I'm just like, wow. I wonder if God looked down and he says, look, man, this is what's going on. I wonder if at this time they said, the people are calling evil good and they're calling good evil. You've been, that's happening in our life. That's happening out those doors right there. We can see it in our lives. Pastor, I don't want to see. I don't want to see it. It's just, it's a rough world out there. It's a rough world. I got an idea. How about this? How about we kind of get in our own holy huddle and then we just won't, but, but we can't because we see, we see that the world is corrupt. And so what happened here, the Lord looks and he says, all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them on the earth. And of course, chapter seven gives us an account of what, I mean, think about it, guys. It's a worldwide flood where only eight people survived. Eight people. Now I know we like to, we like to make a big mural of, of Noah's Ark and we like to paint the animals going to, and there's the elephants, right? Or whatever it is. We like to picture that. And it's so, that's not what... It was disaster. It was ugly. It was, it was death. It was death. I don't like to spend a whole lot of time, but I mean, I'm thinking only eight people came on. You go, what does that say? I think it, it just speaks volumes to us, guys. I think there are a lot of people who claim to be the body of Christ, but it's really only going to be a remnant of those who truly follow God. So And so again, we're looking at it and going, mm, eight people. Why eight? Well, we know that eight is a new beginning. God's going to start over. One, one person, one commentary called him the, new, the second Adam, although we know Jesus was the second Adam. But it was just, I mean, I mean, think about it, right? Think about it. Think about it. And we, we learned last year that Jesus was a, was a type of the ark, right? Jesus was the saving. He was salvation. And of course, the water and the flood were a type of God's judgment on an unbelieving and wicked world. And the Bible says in verse 23, so he destroyed all the living things that were on the face of the ground, both man, cattle, creeping thing, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark 
remained alive. Eight people survived the worldwide flood. Well, in verse 24 of chapter 7, we learned, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And waters reached the highest point after, what, 150 days, which has included the 40 days of constant rain. It said that it killed the birds too. Well, the rain must have been coming down so hard that birds could not fly. And then it covered the, the, the tree so much that birds could not nest. It killed everything. It killed everything. You're like, wow, eight people survived. And then in chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah every living thing, and the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. you guys remember what happened during this time? Noah's floating around, right? And what's the first thing he sends out? He sends out a raven. He opens up the windows. He goes, okay. He sends out a raven. Okay? A raven has always been a type of our flesh. Okay? He sends out a raven. Okay? Raven does not come back. Why? Because a raven can eat dead, rotting carcasses, and live there forever. No raven coming. And then what does he do? He sends out a dove. Do you guys remember what the dove did? The dove went to and fro, back and forth, and came back to the ark, couldn't find a resting place. I was reading, I was reading that the other day through our uh, one-year Bible. Do you guys remember? It, it took me back to creation because it said what? Do you guys remember it said before creation that the earth was covered? And what? And the Holy Spirit just hovered back to and fro? And I thought, wow. If you'll pay attention to the Word of God, He'll speak to you and He'll just, He makes it very clear. So He sent out a dove. The dove finally didn't, came back with a little olive leaf and then didn't come back because then He found a place to nest. Now, a, a dove will not eat a rotting, dead flesh carcass. He won't. That's how Abraham, that's how Noah knew. And so what happened is it it said God remembered Noah. Now, remember, it wasn't like, oh, man, there's Noah. Wow. Yeah. What are we going to do? We got to get him. Okay. Okay. And so uh, it wasn't that. It was that it was like, okay, Noah, we got to take care of this. Now, keep this in mind. Noah, guys, he worshiped the Lord before the ark was built. You see, while he was building the ark, I believe he was... Because Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of these things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his households, which he condemned, which he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness according to her faith. So Hebrews says what? That, that he worshiped. That well, while he's doing it, by faith, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. He worshiped before. That's going to be key. Now, again, here's the thing. I wonder, okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I'd like to use some deductive reasoning. But I wonder, did Noah worship while the storm was going on? Did he offer a sacrifice? You go, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say. Well, here's what here's what the thing. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 2, it says, God tells him, you should take with you seven of each every clean animal, male and female. So we have clean animals for two reasons, sacrifice, and they're going to eat them later. Okay, you can, they're going to have good, healthy meals. But I wonder if while they were on the boat five months, Noah was worshiping. Noah was offering a sacrifice. You go, Ben, the Bible doesn't say. No, the Bible doesn't say. But based upon who Noah was and his character and being righteous and a man of faith, he worshiped. 
he worshiped. Let, let me just peek your, your, your um, imagination for a moment. I don't think God wanted Noah to build windows on the side of the ark. I think that would be too tempting to see probably people he knew floating. I, I, just, I, I mean, you see how hard, but, but, but Noah's like, okay, okay, we need, to, we need to continue. We need to continue to worship. You see, he says, he says, Noah, take, take with you seven of each animal, male and female, two of each that are what that are clean, seven clean animals. The clean is a reference to sacrifice. Here's my point. My point then is my opinion. Noah, in the middle of the rain and the wind and the earth opening up, being tossed to and fro in a giant ark. He worshiped God. He really worshiped God during those five months. Tonight, guys, in just a couple of verses, we discover something interesting. The first thing that Noah does when the storm is over is he worships. Is he worships. You can imagine. You can imagine Noah's heart. For you too have been in a storm in your life. I would imagine there's been some storms in your life. Oh, oh, there's been some storms where maybe a few drops came down. There's been some storms when it was torrential rain and wind and you didn't know what you were going to do next. But I think of Noah and I think of all that was going on. I think of Noah's family, Noah's extended family, his friends. I think of people he hung out with. I think of, of those he ministered to. I think he said, hey, man, you're so close. Get on the ark. Come, come on with us. Yeah, Noah, listen, maybe tomorrow, bro, maybe tomorrow. I think of all those that Noah knew. Listen, maybe, maybe it's a little morbid thinking that he saw his friends floating on by or in, in a world full of destruction, but, but he, knew, he knew that they were gone. He had to trust the Lord. He had to trust the Lord. Now, after all of this, that's where we pick up our story, guys. Look at verse 15 of chapter 8. That's what we'll kind of use this as a run and go. Noah, the flood, death. It says, then God spoke to Noah saying, get out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and the creeping things that creep on the earth, so they may abound on earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Okay, so the storm's over. The storm's over. Okay, God said it. He delivered. I, I've got my sons. I got my wife. It's over. It's okay. Okay. Now, Noah, yes, sir, get out of the ark. Get out of the ark. 
Go ahead. Let's get, let's, let's, you're not, you're not going to live here. Get out of the ark. And, and I was thinking, I want you to think, I want you to put your mind in, in what Noah's thinking. Cause, cause to me, it seems, it seems so natural for us that when the storm of life is over and you go, Ben, you keep talking about the storm. What are you talking about? What if it's cancer? Or what if it's a divorce? Or what if it's, I mean, death? Whatever it might be, when that storm is over, what's the, our, a natural inclination is to what? Is our natural reaction is to thank God. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank God. Oh, that was close. Wow. Thank you, Lord. We're more, we're more inclined to thank God if the outcome is more favorable to us than, than if, if someone dies. Because then we go to the how and the why. God, why would you take someone so wonderful like that? All they did is serve you. I don't understand. Why would you? Why would you why? But, but more, more natural than not, we say, thank you, God. But listen to me. But worship, worship is so much more than simply wiping the sweat off your brow and thanking God. That's, that's what's key, guys. Because here's what, here's what we've been accustomed to. Okay? 7 o'clock, church starts. That's when we, help me, worship. And we'll, we'll call, and we'll call, this is when we worship. We think that worship is simply just singing to God. But, but think about it, guys. Think about it, how much more it is, because, because it's, it's, it's like, wow. And you go, well, Ben, help me out here. Worship. We've had teachings on worship. Josh did a teaching on worship. What's, well, let me give you a biblical def- definition, okay, of worship. You ready? Jot this down. The true worship of God is essentially, listen to me, internal. A matter of the heart in the spirit rooted in the knowledge of and obedience to the revealed word of God. When you study his word and you trust and know who he is, that's when worship comes. You guys not hearing me? Listen. When you believe and you trust and you stand, and this is your foundation, that's when worship comes. That's when worship comes. Guys, it's an internal thing. You guys remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, I believe, 8 and 9? We learned basically, remember what he said? We learned about an internal worship versus an external worship. You go, what do you mean? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, these people draw near near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says, guys, they're coming in. Here I am to worship. And and he says, but inside they're, they don't know me. They're not worshiping me. They're not worshiping me. And you go, well, Ben, what, what's this all about? Well, here's what he says. Now, listen, listen, check this out. He says in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 15, in vain they worship me. I looked up that word vain, and it actually means zero. You know, what do you mean? It means nothing. He says, you can do outward acts, but your true heart of worship, Jesus says, there's nothing going on there. There's nothing going on there. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. That scares me. Now, now listen, listen. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way because I think it's a perfect illustration. My four-year-old granddaughter said to me the other day, 
I don't know if God's in my heart because I can't hear him. I try to be quiet, but I still can't hear him. Now she's four. Understand, right? She's got to be born. She's got to be regenerate. She's got, I mean, it's, that's, that's the whole case. I get it. But it's our job to put the word of God in here. But she says, I don't know if God's in my heart because I can't hear him. I think there's a lot of people who go, they'll come to church and they have that same question. But we're, we're grownups. We don't, we don't know going to say that. We're grownups. We're not four-year-olds. We're going, okay, another church. But deep in our hearts, we lay in bed and we lay alone and we go, God, are you really in my heart? Because I haven't heard you. I haven't heard you. And, and, and see, that's what he says. He says, listen, there's, because worship isn't about coming and just singing songs. It's not about, all right, well, we sang four songs, and then Josh is going to come up here, and he's going to lead us, rah, 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 and we're going to sing songs, and, and it's songs. No, worship is in, it's internal. It's not just an external. So what happens if we're going to face a storm? What happens if life is going to throw us some rain and some wind and some... What happens? Well, let me just say this to you guys, and I've said it before, but I think it's so imperative, okay? If we're, first and foremost, we need to worship the Lord, listen to me, before the storm. You go, well, you mean when things are easy, when I'm sitting in the field and, and I see beautiful and I see colors and it's all beautiful, I can worship? No, 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 listen, here's why. Listen, jot this down. God always prepares you today for your tomorrow. God always prepares you today for your tomorrows. Preparation always starts with worship. It is the foundation that you and I should be grounded in. He's preparing you. The stuff you go today, he says, I I want you to worship me. Why? Because I think about David. How could David say, God, they're trying to kill me? Bless their name, Lord. I trust you. You are my protection. They're digging a pit, but they're going to follow in it. I love you, Lord. How can he say that? Because let's be honest, if that's you and that's me, we're freaking out. We're like, why me, Lord? What did I do? What is, oh man, the devil's after. He's trying to kill me. Are you serious? Oh, and we tend. And, and, and I think about that, right? Because God was doing what? When David was a little shepherd boy, what was God doing? He was preparing him that day for his tomorrow. He was preparing him the day where he's going to meet Goliath. He was preparing him for what, what he was going to face. Number two, if we're going to worship during the storms, that's what I think we need to do. Now, this, my friend, is a lot harder to do. Listen, I have no problem worshiping God before the storm. I have no problem. Let's worship. Praise the Lord, Olivia. Amen. Right, Noe? Praise God. How you doing, brother? Amen. I love it. God is good. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. But in the storm, that's a lot harder to do. Can I get a witness? That's a lot harder to do. When things are going down, listen, listen to me. When they told me, Ben, your wife has cancer and it could kill her. I didn't go, bless the Lord. Oh my. I was like, what? What? God, what am I going to do? What did I do? What did this happen? I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be single. I'm going to be a single pastor. I don't know. Can I pastor the church? I don't know. What's going to happen? Do I want to be alone, guys? And everything went through at the speed of light, it seemed like. Just me? 
I mean, again, again, this is harder to do. And then we can also, guys, worship him after the storm. And that's what Noah's going to do. So with that as our intro, guys, let's see what happens next. Do you remember the first verse of chapter 8? It said, and God remembered Noah. You can write this down on verse 20. Oh, right here, Noah remembered God. God, hey, I know where you are, Noah. And right here, God remembers, or Noah remembers God. And here's my hope. We see Noah doing something after a huge trial, storm, and my prayer is that we can learn to do the same thing in our lives, okay? That's where we pick up our our, our study. Verse 20 of chapter 8, then Noah, coming out of the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. Guys, if you have a pencil handy, this is the first mention of an altar right here, Genesis chapter 8. This is the first mention. Noah builds an altar and he offers and he worships. Now, if you recall, the ark sat on the Mount of Ararat, okay? And I wonder if Noah just even went to a higher ground to build that altar. You know, our inclination is to go down because it's easier. I wonder if Noah said, I'm going up. I want to get closer to God. I need to worship the Lord. Well, what did he do? He brought a burnt offering. Well, what's a burnt offering? Well, let me just kind of explain it to you just a minute. The burnt offering in Judaism is a form of sacrifice first described in the Hebrew Bible. The term is first used in the sacrifices of Noah. And what is it? It's a tribute to God. A burnt offering was entirely burnt on the offering. The Hebrew word for burnt offering, listen to this, actually means to ascend, literally to go up in smoke. The smoke from the sacrifice ascended to God, a smooth aroma to the Lord. And technically, any offering burned over an altar was a burnt offering, but more specific terms, a burnt offering was a complete destruction of the animal, except for the hide, in an effort to renew the relationship between a holy God and sinful men. That's what he does. Noah doesn't get out prideful and goes, hey, saved, saved me, saved me. Hey, he's like, oh my gosh, I need to worship. I need to worship because I know my heart. Here's what I love, guys. We see this in Genesis chapter 8, but the fulfillment of the burnt offering is Jesus. Did you guys see that? His sacrifice on the cross. You go, what do you mean? His physical life was completely consumed, and then what did he do? He ascended to God. But most importantly, his sacrifice was once for all time atoned for our sin and restored our relationship to God. That's where you find rest because it's done once and for all. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you should be able to sleep like a baby because he's got you taken care of. Nobody's going to snatch you out. That's the burnt offering. That's the burnt offering. Well, that's what happens. Noah goes up. I'm going to say he's going to go up. He's going to worship God. It says in verse 21, and the Lord smelt a what? A soothing aroma. The Lord's going, ooh. Then the Lord said in his heart, doesn't that bless you guys? He says, I will never curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man 
Man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. He's talking about seasons. But here's what the Lord does. The Lord makes a covenant right here that he's not going to destroy man. He says, even though I'm going to look and I'm going to see in 2019 that these two young girls at McDonald's are going to go ballistic and just be rude and just and hurt people, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to make a covenant. And he says, I'm not going to do that again. Why would the Lord make a promise way back in Genesis chapter 8? But Because he wants you to remember that, guys, that he makes promises and he keeps promises. He hasn't flooded the earth. Now, we've had local flooding, okay? I'll never forget the time we lived in Missouri, and my friend called me and says, you guys all right? I'm like, yeah, why? He said, well, news says you're flooding. And you go, what do you mean flooding? And then we drove down by the Mississippi, and everything was underwater. We're like, oh, guess we're in flood. It was horrible. We didn't even know because we were up. But, but there's local flooding, but he's never flooded the earth like that again. You go, well, what's the application? Guys, if God keeps his promises, he's promising to you that he loves you, and he's got a plan for your life, and you just got to hold on. You just got to hold on. Don't, don't walk away. Finish well. Finish well. So what does Noah do? Noah gets out and he worships. He worshiped before by faith. I'm going to worship, Lord. I'm going to trust you, God, because God's going to what? God's always going to prepare you today for your tomorrow. Whatever's going to happen tomorrow, whatever's going to happen next week, whatever's going to happen 20 years in your life, God's going to prepare you. He's going to prepare you. We have to be sensitive. Then what happens when the rains come? What happens when you're going, oh, bless the Lord, or here I am. Well, it's raining. It's raining. What do we do, guys, at that point? Listen, our heart doesn't want to, but that's when we need to worship the Lord. In the midst. In the midst. And then when the storm is over, when the storm is over is when we should worship the Lord too. Now, What I want to do, guys, with the remainder of our time is try to apply this to our lives. You go, what do you mean? Listen, every one of us is probably going to face a storm in our life, more than one storm. And you, Pastor, you keep calling it storm, but what are you, like, like, what are you talking about, like storms? Well, like I said, there could be, there could be an unexpected death in your family. There could be, there could be sickness. There could be a job loss. There could be a divorce. There could be I mean, infidelity, whatever you might want to call it, there's a storm coming. You're, you're serving the Lord, and, 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 and maybe you don't see it. Maybe it's a blindsided storm. So what are the questions we should ask? How about this? Number one, what are we doing now to help us get through a major storm? What are you doing now? You see, every time we'll come up here, guys, and we'll say, hey, how's your quiet time? Hey, how's your devotion time? Are you spending time with God? I told the church in Clovis just on Sunday, I said, hey, when was the last time you dated God? What do you mean I did? Been alone with him and just, and just worshiped him, just been with him. When was the last time you did that? Okay? What are we doing today to prepare us? Number two, okay? How should we live during a storm? How should we live? If you, if you talk to Nathalie and her um, testimony, she said the cancer didn't scare her. The dying didn't scare her. 
You know what? You know what frightened my wife? Misrepresenting God during a storm. More than anything, she'd cry out and say, God, I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want people to think bad of you because of this. I don't want people to go, oh, that's what you do to Christians. She, she said, I don't want to misrepresent you. Guys, listen, she's on chemo. She's sick. She's laying on the couch. She's telling me to quit moving, and I haven't moved. Everything's spinning, and she's sick. And she goes, I don't want to misrepresent you, God. How do we live during the storm? This is hard. I'm going to be honest with you. How do you live when, when the very most precious thing might be taken away from you? How do you live during that time? And then the third question is our reaction after we come out of a storm. What's the first thing we do? What's the first thing we do? Well, you guys know this. I don't have time to get into it. But when it comes to the storm of life, what biblical person comes to mind? Job, right? Job, I mean... I mean, in, in Job, I mean, think about this. The Bible says that there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. He was a man blameless and upright who feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 7,000 camels, 500. The dude was rich. He had it all. And his sons, the Bible says, would go into the feast of each house. And each on his appointed day, they would send and invite their three sisters. That's important, family. Don't leave out your family. Invite him to your house to eat. But anyways, he says, and they would drink and eat with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And he said, why? Because Job said, it may be that they have, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this regularly. Job says, listen, I don't know what's going on in the house. I love my family, but I know that they're human too. And he what? He worshiped. You guys see that? He, this was, they're just getting together. Hey, sweetie, you want to come over for a potluck? Yeah, bring over, some, yeah, bring over some salsa and I'll have chips and we'll get together. Job's going, I don't know what's happening there, but I want to make sure he's worshiping before. Well, guys, you know what happens, right? He worshiped before the storm. And in verse 13 through 22, all the way, it says, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house that so the messenger came. And you guys know the story. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabaeans ruined, raided, and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God from heaven burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. That's a storm, isn't it? That's a storm. The fire of God, lightning? whatever it might be. And he says, the Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels. Basically, you lost everything. You lost everything. And he says, and while I was speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I have alone escaped to tell you. Verse 20 says, and Job tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Lord, what are you trying to tell us here? Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Can I be honest with you? I don't think I could do that.
I'm telling you, it's harder to worship God in the storm. And Job teaches us that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. Life is so uncertain for Job. He lost everything. He lost his family. And the first thing Job does is he goes and he worships God. So he worshiped before. He worshiped during the storm. Guys, think about this, okay? Let me, let me reel it into reality. The Lord wants to teach us, to prepare us to worship. Okay, it's not the 20 minutes or 25 minutes we have before service, before the, this is worship, but worship comes from every day, spending time, getting to know him, praying, seeking him, having a relationship, worshiping him. When we come up and we put songs up, man, just worship the Lord. Let it, let it go. Let worship God. Worship God. Why? Because the reality is, the reality is, is there's going to be storms. I want to worship before the storm. I want to worship during the storm. Lord, you're going to have to help me because that's hard. But when the storm is over, I want to just, I want to show people that I worship after the storm. What do you mean? What does it look like? What does it really look like, guys, in reality to worship during a dark storm of life? What does it look like, guys, when your hope seems all but gone? What does your worship look like when there's no hope? What does it look like when you lose a son or a daughter? What does your worship look like? When you receive a terrible diagnosis, what does your worship look like? When you finalize the divorce papers, what does worship look like? Or if you experience a business failure... What does worship look like? Listen, this is where it's going to get heavy. Pray to the Lord. This is where the storms rage on, okay? This is where the storms rage on. You go, what do you mean? This is reality, okay? Just this week, just this week, I can give you several examples of major storms in life. You go, what do you mean? Calvary Chapel Saving Grace in Mesa, Arizona. Pastor David Evans his wife, Melinda Evans. Just a few months ago, about six or eight months ago, she lost her nephew. Now, why is this close to us? Because her nephew, um, Rachel, her, her, Alex actually attended this church for a little bit. We knew Alex. He had gotten up to be about 20, 20, 23, 24 years old. He, he dies. I'm not sure what happened. So Melinda loses her nephew And the pastor of the church, David Evans, on December 28th, goes into cardiac arrest. And she says goodbye to her husband just this week. Guys, he's a pastor. He's He's the pastor. Are you kidding me? And, and it's just like, it, it, this hits home because I know David. I saw him at conferences. I, I know him. I know Belinda. We've talked to them about Alex. And I offered my condolences. And here I'm going, what? This is a major storm. How are we going to worship during that? It happens. How are we going to worship? You see, Melinda's mother, Carmen, used to come and sit in those chairs. And every time she came, she brought her whole family. We would double in size when, when Carmen came. 
And now, Melinda, pastor's wife, how is she going to worship? How is she going to worship? What does that worship look like during the storm? Let me give you another example. Just this week, Christian recording artist Annie Meadows, uh, her husband named Peter, he was diagnosed with cancer over a year ago. And Annie writes this week, this is what she said, quote, Peter took his final breath as I lay next to him. 33 years of marriage, I lost my best friend. I don't know how to do single again. Here's where I'm blown away. She writes, quote, little sleep, but hours with my Lord. Jeremiah 6, 16a says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. She goes on to write, faithfully walk the line with him, holding his truth without compromise. There is joy in the midst of tears in the journey and it's indescribable joy at its end. She goes on to write, Peter went so peacefully. Right before he went, he told me, quote, I want to be in the worship service in heaven. So typical of him. One thing I know, Peter loved his Savior. Worship. That's just this week. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. This is a storm that's going on right now. Right now. You go, what is it? There's a pastor named Peter John Corson. Peter John Corson is diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Right now. They send him home. He went from Portland. They send him home with hospice. Now, you need to understand... You need to understand, he's the son of John Corson. John Corson, if you recall, John Corson lost his wife in an automobile accident when Peter John was five years old and then lost his sister to an automobile accident when she was 16. And now all of a sudden, there's his son. Now he's 50-something, I don't know how old he is, but he's sent home with hospice. But what he does is he worships God even now. And what he did this past Sunday is he addressed the church there in Oregon. 5,000 people came out. And you know what his exhortation to the congregation was? He actually used Mary and Martha and he said, sit at the feet of Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus while you have time. There's not, he's not bitter. John's not sitting there going, well, you know, I can't believe this. Why would this happen to me? John says, listen, the destination is the same for all of us. It's just that some people are going to, are a few steps ahead of us. Okay? You, you guys with me? Sit at the feet of Jesus. Worship him. Worship him. Guys, think about it. Sit and worship. Why? Because heaven is a much better place. Heaven is a much better place. Okay, so here's what we learned tonight. You ready? Storms come and storms go. What we need to do, guys, as believers is trust. We need to learn to trust the Lord in everything. In everything. We need to learn to trust the Lord.
We need to know, we need to understand, we need to hold on to know that he's good. Despite what we see, he's good. I want to learn that tonight, guys. I want to know that that no matter what happens in my life, he is good. And that if it's cancer, we're going, praise God. If it's another type of storm, praise God. Whatever it might be, we're going to hold on to him. He is good. Can I get an amen? Amen. Guys, let us learn that our worship comes from an internal heart. And our worship doesn't come from circumstances in life. Worship doesn't come when things are going, oh, man, things are going really good. Are you kidding me? I have an amazing Man, it's been such a great season. Worship the Lord. But worship always comes from a heart that's what? Your internal heart. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Ben, I, you're just kind of a, I mean, you're just, this is just kind of a bummer. No, no, no. I think the Lord really wants us to learn where worship comes from, that we worship him before the storm right now. Worship him. And if you're going to go into a storm, I'm going to worship him. I don't want to misrepresent him. And when I come out of a storm, I'm going to say, regardless of the results, God, you are good. You are good. Why? What did Noah do? Noah, all the people on earth died except his family. He worshiped the Lord. Let's close with this, guys. Let's close. We got, we got 10 minutes. Imagine with me. You're standing in a field. The storm... It's past. There you are. You're tired. You hung on. You're, you're tired. You're drenched. You're weary. You're hurt. But not with God. But you're hurt with sin. So what do you do? You worship. You build an altar and you worship him. And you sing. And you shout. And you dance. Listen to this one. And you breathe. Because there are times in life when all we can do is just breathe. And you, and you close your eyes. And you know in your heart, God is good. God is good. God is good. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that we can worship you. And Lord, we look and we know that worship is more than just singing a song, but it's Father, I I I want to learn that lesson even more, God. Lord, I haven't been faithful to worship you even in the storm or outside the storm, God. Lord, I know. I know, like all of us, God, we failed you at one time or another. But I thank you that you're a God that's so faithful and you say, come on, Ben, it's okay. And so I'm asking you tonight, Lord, as I'm asking everyone in this room, God, that you would, Lord, help us to worship you, to learn that. That no matter what 2019 brings, that you are good and you are God. And we're going to worship you. 
trust you and we're going to love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.